Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, there are three great discourses of Jesus presented in Matthew's Gospel. The best known, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount. That's in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. There's also a missionary discourse when he sends the disciples out. That's in chapter 10. He gives them a series of instructions. Then finally, in chapter 13, we find what the scholars call the Sermon in Parables. Jesus laying out for us in parable form what he means by the kingdom of God. Well, now we've entered into this beautiful and textured 13th chapter, and we hear today in our gospel the very first of these Matthean parables. They all have to do, as I say, with the kingdom. The first four have to do with the growth of the kingdom, the development of the kingdom. Here's how our passage for today opens. Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea and began to teach the crowds. Interesting, isn't it? He goes out of the house. He goes out of a private space, a restricted space, and now goes out into the open air by the seashore. This is Jesus now preaching to the nations. This is the word of God preaching to the world. We're all meant to listen in to these parables. He sits down the same way he did in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that was the attitude of the ancient teacher who would sit and then his disciples would be arranged at his feet. He speaks to us first this parable of the sower, and we know it well. The sower sows far and wide. Some of the seed landing on a path where the birds eat it up. Some falling on rocky ground where the life is choked off. Some is sown among thorns. Some is sown, finally, on rich soil where it bears 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, we have the rare privilege in Matthew's version here that Jesus gives us an explicit explanation of the meaning of this parable. You know, there are some parables that we read and we're kind of puzzled by them and we wonder, what does that mean? And homilists over the centuries have struggled to explain them. Well, we have a great advantage now because Jesus leaves no ambiguity. He tells us exactly what this parable means. I think it would be unwise in the extreme to venture down some other interpretive path than the one that Jesus himself lays out. Keep in mind, before we get to the detailed explanation, keep in mind that Jesus himself in person is the seed sown. Jesus is the Logos who wants to take root in us. 
He's sown far and wide through all sorts of means because he's destined for the whole world. Think of that image, first of all, of the sower just sowing the seed. Well, that's in some ways God the Father who's sowing the seed of his Son far and wide, all over. Listen, to those who are receptive, yeah, but also to the unreceptive. To those who are likely to get it, yes, but also to those who are unlikely to get it. Now, the Lord himself interprets the passage for us. He says, The seed sown on the path stands for the one who hears the word of the kingdom without understanding it, and the evil one comes and steals away what was sown. How important that is. The seed on the path is the one who hears the word but doesn't understand it. You know, I'd venture to guess that almost everybody in our society in the West has heard the word about Jesus. You know, I mean, Jesus is one of the most recognized figures in in world history. Most people, I, I would venture to guess, at least in the West, could rehearse to you the basics of the gospel. They would know something about the story of Jesus. But the word takes no root because they don't understand. They don't get it. You know, someone can be taken to a, a baseball game. Let's say someone from another culture. They don't know much about baseball. And you sit them down at Wrigley Field and you show them the Cubs game and, and you're drawn into it. All the drama and the fun and the, and the uh, excitement of the game. Well, because you get it. You know what baseball is. You know the rules. You know how to play. You know the history of the Cubs. You know everything. But imagine someone who's never been to a baseball game. Suddenly you plop them down at Wrigley Field. They'll take in uh, bits and pieces of it. But they won't get it. So it goes in the ways of the Spirit. We will not understand God's Word until we are prepared to understand it. Israel was the extensive and complex preparation for the reception of the Word. Why did the Word come precisely to Israel? Because Israel was the means by which that Word could be understood and received. Think of our own time. A recent study showed that Catholics are second only to Jews in the ineffectiveness of passing on their religious tradition and heritage. That's startling stuff, friends. We're second only to Jews in the ineffectiveness of handing on our religious tradition and heritage. A recent poll concerning religious attitudes in America showed that most Americans, including Catholics, favor a radical tolerance in regard to religious beliefs. Now, mind you, nothing in the world wrong with tolerance of of other people. But see, when you just say, ah, you know, believe what you want, I believe this, you believe that, doesn't really matter. Well, that just shows a kind of bland indifferentism. Same study also showed that there was a shocking ignorance among Americans, including American Catholics, in regard to their belief systems and dogmas and the history of their own religion. Extraordinary, isn't it? If we fall into bland toleration, anything goes, your opinion is as good as mine. If we don't understand our own religious tradition, if we're getting very inept at passing that tradition on, you know what's going to happen, friends? 
we won't take in the word. We'll be like that, the seed sown on the path. You have to understand the word before you'll take it in. Next, the Lord says, the seed sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and receives it at once with joy, but he has no root, and it lasts only for a time. So when difficulties and persecutions arrive, he loses confidence. This too happens all the time. People can be fascinated by the spiritual and the religious, drawn in by a charismatic personality or an intense experience or even a trauma. A lot of people get turned on to religion, turned on to Christianity, to the Word of God. Nothing wrong with that. That could be the way that God chose to plant the seed. But, but, lacking discipline, lacking a keen sense of the religious tradition, lacking stick to and perseverance, in time that original glow dims, in time that original excitement fades. You know, I've often spoken about this. Nothing that we take seriously is unaccompanied by discipline. One of the signs that we don't take something very seriously is there's no discipline around it. Eh, it's a nice thing, but, you know, I'm not going to fuss about it. I'm not going to uh, go through all sorts of discipline and exercise and practice. But when you take something seriously, you surround it with that kind of rigor. Is it true that for many people, Catholics included, a sense of rigor, discipline, perseverance, exercise, practice in the faith has faded? Think so? Think so? Are we surprised, therefore, that people's convictions don't last? Are we surprised that religion is often a fading, ephemeral, and superficial reality? Eh, go to Mass when I feel like it. Well, you'd never say that in regard to anything else you take seriously. Well, practice the guitar when I feel like it. Eh, go to school when I'm in the mood. Uh, go to work when, you know, I, it's uh, all things being equal and I have nothing else to do, I'll go to work. Well, no. You take something seriously, you surround it with discipline. So, the Lord implies, it must go with religion. Third problem. Listen again to the Lord's words. The seed sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but then worldly anxiety and the lure of riches choke the word and it bears no fruit. That's very direct, isn't it? Very telling. Some people hear the word, take it in, but then they're unable to maintain their focus and sense of prioritization. What do I mean here? Well, the word of God must be the central and defining dynamic of one's life. To know the will of God, to know the mind of God, to understand His purpose and path is all important. Without it, you lose your way amidst all the conflicting voices and inclinations of the world. It doesn't mean for a second that you can't be interested in lots of other things. No, no. But the Word of God is what 
orders and organizes all those other interests. What the Lord calls here worldly anxiety and the lure of riches are lesser concerns that now obscure and compromise what ought to be the primary concern of my life. How much time do you spend worrying about the particular concerns of home and family, reputation, work, money-making, saving? Again, nothing in the world wrong with those things. We have to think about them. But do they take a dominating role in your mind? Do these worldly concerns and the lure of riches choke off your interest in the Word of God? How much time, I'll be honest, in the course of the week, do you even think about the Word of God? If the answer is, well, maybe just for a few minutes on Sunday, if that, then it's not good enough. The Word of God ought to be the central organizing power and principle of your life. Otherwise, it'll bear no fruit. And so, we can see, by way of conclusion, what's the nature of the good soil in which the Word will grow? It's the soil that's characterized by the understanding of the faith. Take time to read theology, study the Scripture, to feel with the church. Good soil is marked by perseverance and discipline and practice. You must surround the Word with those things or it won't grow. Finally, it's the good soil that's marked by a keen sense of prioritization. The Word of God comes first and the other concerns of your life focus around it. When that soil is in place, and it can be, then the Word will bear fruit 30, 60, and a hundredfold. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the Word on Fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.